0: Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. It's our final message in our series from Philippians we've been tracking through and working with this fall. Not long ago, a friend invited me to lunch, and we met at a local restaurant, and as we were Getting ready to order, looking at the menu, he said, get whatever you want, I'm buying. So I found an entree that looked good to me on the menu and ordered it. It cost $15.99. My friend and I had a nice time catching up, and true to his word, he picked up the check. That afternoon, I sent him a thank you note, thanking him for lunch, and then I went to Amazon and had one of my favorite books on leadership sent to him. That book cost me $18.99. And I made a mental note that the next time I met my friend for coffee, I would let him buy because I was now $3 ahead. <laughs> a couple of days later, my friend sent me a thank you note thanking me for my thank you note and the book and he enclosed a gift card to Starbucks (laughs) for $5. (laughs) Now he's ahead by two. So I quickly sent him a thank you note, thanking him for his thank you note and the gift card to Starbucks, and I enclosed an article that I had downloaded from Harvard Business Review that had cost me three bucks. So if you're keeping score at home, who's ahead now? I am by how much? One dollar. And then not long after that, a small package arrived at my doorstep. It was a thank you note from my friend thanking me for my thank you note in response to his thank you note in response to my thank you note for lunch. And he also included a pack of chewing gum which I did some internet research very quickly and determined it cost him a dollar and 19 cents to send me that gum. Now he's ahead of me by 19 cents, intolerable. So I sent him a thank you note in response to the second iteration of his thank you note and enclosed two Jolly Rancher candies <laughs> valued at a dime apiece. It felt good to be one penny in the black. The next day, I found a small envelope underneath the windshield wiper of my truck. I opened it and did not have a thank you note. How rude. But wedged in the corner of that envelope was a single orange tic-tac. I popped it into my mouth, and vowed to never again let my friend buy me lunch. (laughs) Who knew that saying thank you could be so complicated? I'll tell you who knew. Paul knew how complicated a thank you could be. Philippians has been described by some scholars as a long thank you note or a formal letter of thanks in which Paul is thanking his friends for their financial support while he's in prison. He doesn't actually express his gratitude for their support, though, until the very end of the letter in the section we're about to read. Before that, he spends a considerable amount of time encouraging them to stand firm and conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and we've spent a considerable amount of time pondering his words and encouragement to them and therefore to us so there's definitely more to philippians than just it being a thank you note but it it is partly a letter of gratitude and so as we read this final section of the letter in which paul finally does express his gratitude I challenge you to pay close attention to what Paul says and notice what essential element is missing from this letter of thanks. You ready? Here we go. He says, beginning in verse 10, Philippians chapter 4, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more fruit or more profit be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch it? What does he never say? He never actually says, thank you. In the original language, the word you would expect to find in a formal letter of thanks is not there. He never says, thank you. Why is that? It's not because he's rude, not because he's ungrateful, doesn't appreciate their support. No. Saying thank you in this context is far more complicated than that. To really appreciate the sneaky gospel business Paul is up to in this passage, we have to also understand a bit about the way giving and receiving worked in Greco-Roman friendships. There were some social customs and conventions that governed the way one gave and the the way one received. So Greco-Roman friendships tended to be utilitarian. Friends didn't get together just to hang out and play video games, to waste time together. No, there was usually a strategic purpose behind the friendship. Both parties expected to benefit politically, socially, financially from the relationship. There was always going to be a give and take and give back. And these friendships could be established with the giving of a gift or a favor. There's initiating a gift, and if that gift is received or a favor is received and then reciprocated in kind, a lasting friendship or bond was formed. And when someone formally received a gift, they were obliged to reciprocate in word Indeed, if you take it, you better be ready to do something in return to the one who gave it. That was expected. And failure to receive a gift, rejecting a gift could lead to enmity. We know that Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was strained for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons it was strained is because he refused to accept their financial support when he was working among them. They wanted to give him a gift, and he would not receive it, and this offended them. A gift giver is socially superior to the recipient. It's better to give than to receive. And parity in giving keeps the relationship on an even plane. So if I give you something of value and you give me something in return of equal value, we are friends on an equal level. We have equal status. But if I wanna grow in status or if I want to demonstrate that I have higher status than you, then I will give a bigger gift than you can properly reciprocate. And now it's clear, I'm above you, you're below me. One way to humiliate someone was to invite them to a party and then in public, give them a valuable, lavish, elaborate gift that they could never reciprocate. They were utterly humiliated, and you demonstrated your superior status. So there was always an element of status and power at work in the giving and receiving of gifts between friends. So you take all of these customs, and I have grossly oversimplified them, it's because of these customs and the power dynamics at work within them that Paul has to be very careful how he says thank you. Because this giving and receiving of a gift can alter the nature of their friendship. And so let's keep these customs in mind as we go back and revisit the passage we've already read. Let me point out several of these details to you. First, he opens by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. He doesn't say, thank you. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. Renewing your concern is a roundabout way of saying you sent me some support, but he doesn't actually call it that. And then he, he acknowledges, I know you've always been concerned, but you haven't always had the opportunity to send me support. There's been a delay. And maybe that's because they didn't have resources to send. They may have been supporting Paul, not out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. They just barely had enough to give him, and they managed to do it. That's how much this friendship means to them. So, Paul says, I rejoice that you sent me some help. But then he says, I really didn't need it. I could have gotten by without it. It wasn't expected, it wasn't required. Because I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Doesn't matter whether I'm hungry full, got a lot, have nothing. I have strength in him, presumably Christ. That's who gives me the strength to be content no matter what the situation is. This has to be one of the most misquoted, misapplied verses in all the Bible. Because here, Paul is not saying because of the strength of Christ in me, I can leap buildings in a single bound or I can ace a test that I haven't studied for. What is he saying in context? He's saying because of Christ who makes me content in all situations, I didn't need your gift. I didn't have to have it. I think he's trying to say to them, I'm not asking for more money in sending you this letter. I'm not depending on you. You are not my patrons. And I am not your client. I depend on Christ, whom we are all serving together. So I'm glad you renewed your concern for me, but I really didn't need it. But it's Christ that gives me everything I need. That's how this section of thank you opens. And then he continues, though, in verse 14, and says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. That's another roundabout way of saying, you sent me some support. Now you're sharing in my troubles. And he goes on to talk about how they had supported him and helped him in the past on his missionary journeys. And notice he uses that phrase, giving and receiving. You're the only congregation that participated in this giving and receiving. That is formal language of exchange between friends. That is what makes this a formal kind of conversation. You're giving me something and I'm receiving it. Now, does that mean that I have to reciprocate because I've received it? That's what he's navigating in this passage. And then he comes back and says one more time, just in case there's any doubt, verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. I don't want your money. What I desire is that more be credited, more fruit be credited to your account. But where does that credit come from? Also notice the business language. That's the formal language of giving and receiving. And where does that credit come from? Well, It's not coming from Paul. So finally, verse 18, he acknowledges it. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. This is the receipt. This is the formal acknowledgement, the formal receipt of the gifts that they've sent. And now that he says, I've received and have applied the gift, I've used it, the ball is in his court. He has received a gift. What must he now do? He must reciprocate. Because if he doesn't reciprocate, it alters the power dynamics in their friendship. But Paul's in prison. How can he possibly reciprocate? How can he possibly return anything in kind for the favor they have shown him? He can't. So in verse 18, he describes their gift to him as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God who will then meet all their needs in the riches of Christ Jesus. He describes the gift they gave to him as a sacrifice to God. He returns to this three-way friendship that's been in play throughout the letter. They're helping him. They're sharing in his troubles. They're showing concern for him, but they're actually offering a sacrifice to God which means it is God who will reciprocate, not Paul. And he says that reciprocation will be God will meet all of your needs in the riches of Christ Jesus. And it's those riches that allow Paul to be content in all situations. And it's those riches that will allow the Christians in Philippi to be content in all situations, just like Paul. Brings to mind Proverbs 19:17, which says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. And then notice also the shift from my God in verse 19, my God will meet all your needs, to our God in verse 20. My God will meet your needs, but it's our God and Father that we are worshiping. And now that threefold friendship remains intact. They're sharing in his troubles. They're showing concern for him. But Paul and the Philippians are co-workers and partners in the gospel. They are not over him. He is not over them. They are on an equal equal plane, both worshiping God, both serving Christ. They are partners, friends, in the gospel. Now that... I submit to you, is a complicated thank you. But Paul refuses to let Greco-Roman culture define the friendship he has with the Christians in Philippi. Which is why he is very careful never to say, I owe you, I'm in your debt, I can't survive without you. And instead, he expresses his gratitude by keeping Christ, not the giving and receiving of money, at the center of their relationship. And just as he did then, so now we must be careful not to let our culture, social and business customs and practices dictate our relationships with one another. Christian friendship, Christian community like we have here is created, sustained, and maintained not by what we can do for each other, but by what God has done for us. The gift that initiates and forms our relationships with one another is not one we give to each other. It's God's gift to us in Christ Jesus. That's what brings us together. That's what holds us together as friends in Christ. And so as we enter A season of generosity, not only with today being giving Sunday, but also with end-of-year giving opportunities on the horizon. This passage invites us to see ourselves, from the perspective of the Philippians, to see ourselves as givers and to see our gifts to others, not as ways to curry favor, not as ways to demonstrate our superior social status, not as ways to put others in our debt or get them to do what we want, but as sacrificial offerings given to God who meets all of our needs in Christ Jesus. As we have opportunities to give to others, some whose names we know, some whose names we will never know, some who will feel an obligation to try and pay us back, and others who know they can never, ever, ever possibly pay us back. May we give not out of a desire to receive something in return, but as an expression of our gratitude for what we have already received in Christ. Paul opens this letter with a prayer in which he prays that his friends in Philippi will know what really matters and then live accordingly. And then throughout the letter, he uses the gospel to challenge them and us to rethink everything we think we know about the way our world works. Because the gospel challenges us to rethink Priorities. what really matters. It challenges us to rethink our perspective on suffering. It challenges us to rethink how we chase and measure social status. It challenges us to reconsider the location of our primary citizenship. And it challenges us to rethink what it means to be friends in Christ. And what Paul demonstrates for us today is that when we follow Christ, everything gets baptized in the gospel. Everything. Everything. Including the way we give and receive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in Christ Jesus to bring us together. We thank you for the way you give first and that you give in such a lavish way we can't ever possibly hope to repay in kind what you have given to us in Christ. And we thank you that your gifts have brought us together we ask that as we consider all that we have received from you, we too would be givers. We would give not out of an expectation of return, but out of gratitude for what we have received. We pray in all of this that your spirit would move among us to make us a generous people Know how to give and know how to receive in the Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.